0: (coughs) (coughs) welcome back to our podcast within a podcast pottering around the tickling charm of mangum reads we are three muggles who only buy protective amulets if they match our outfits my name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, BJ and Spencer. How are y'all doing?
1: Struck by how appropriate the analogy to the Tickling Charm is for this damn podcast. I <laughs> say, I'm very that delighted. Is well said.
0: <laughs> Uncontrollably
1: so, perhaps. Sure,
0: a little painfully so. <laughs> yeah. um, so we are back with um, another chapter of Harry Potter. I don't remember what number it is, but it is from book two. 11. Chapter 11, thank you.
2: It's the dueling club.
0: The dueling club. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so we have some segments that we are going to do here. We have a uh, lightning, lightning scar fast recap. (laughs) I'm going to workshop that one. I don't know. Yeah. Um. So
2: so now that you've referenced it, I I do have a question whether you've seen the, um, there is a gesticulation that might be associated with something that might be in a similar shape to the scar. Are you familiar with that?
0: I have no idea what you're talking. About.
2: There's a certain spell that has a certain uh, hand waving. Oh, wavy- sure. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, I'm with ya. Uh,
2: are, are, do you. do do you accept that as canon?
0: Um mm, canon. I'll get back to you on that one. Okay. Um yeah, I'm going to think about I'm going to think about canon for for that. Um so recap whatever you're talking about bj your wizard wheezes, wheezes.
2: <laughs> it gets less and less as we progress further and further into a book like i, I am i am early book heavy and then it sort of peters out one, once <laughs> yeah. plot actually starts happening you, you so start strong bj halfway through the book it's kind of like more wizard wheezing than wizarding
0: well let's we'll see what you are gasping out tonight um Newbies notes from you, Spencer. We have house points that we award, and then questions.
1: (laughs) 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 All right. Well, for the first step, do you have an estimate? Because this is a bit of a long one.
0: Yeah, I think I've gotten it to two minutes. I'm not sure. I cut not unlike last week, which I believe did not actually work particularly well for me. I was a little long in my practice round. I cut some stuff out and did not practice it again. So... (laughs) I don't know. Well,
1: coming off your decisive loss in the last round, we're hoping for good things this time. The audience does not want to be disappointed once more. Um, I think I... this
2: is a, we'll do it live, and uh, late timeouts are just not a thing for us, so it'll mm-hmm. be fine.
0: It's fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, at your pleasure, the, top, the, the gigantic novelty stopwatch is at the ready.
0: Perfect. So Harry gets out of the hospital wing and hightails it to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom to meet Ron and Hermione. Hermione has started the Polyjuice potion, the school is upset about Colin, including Jenny, and all kinds of multi-level marketing wellness industry protective amulets are being traded around. The potion is half-finished, but they're missing all the important ingredients. Hermione suggests stealing them from Snape. In a lesson on swelling solutions, Harry lobs a filibuster's firework into uh, Goyle's cauldron. There's an explosion, flying potions, swollen swollen extremities all around. Hermione gets the goods, though, although Snape is on the warpath when he finds the firework remnants. Flash forward a week, and we learn Hogwarts is starting a dueling club. Everyone signs up and heads to the first lesson, which is, of course, taught by none other than Lockhart, with Snape as (sighs) an assistant. Bad news all around. They start demonstrating. Uh, Snape casts Expelliarmus, and Lockhart is knocked on his ass, tries to play it off, explains the disarming charm, sets the group up in pairs to practice. But Snape puts Harry with Malfoy and Hermione with another Slytherin, Millicent Bulstrode. Malfoy doesn't wait, wait until three to hit Harry with Rictum Sempra. There's an uncontrolled barrage of curses back and forth before Lockhart can stop it. Uh, Harry and Malfoy are brought up to show how to block spells. Lockhart gives Harry some inexplicable instructions. Snape has his own advice for Malfoy. They face off. Malfoy conjures a snake. Lockhart makes it mad. The snake goes for Justin Finch Fletchley. Harry talks it down, except he was speaking in snake language. Justin's terrified, everyone is confused, turns out Harry's a Parseltongue. Not a great sign, very Salazar Slytherin, very Voldemort. More adolescent angst about identity. Uh, next day, Harry takes off looking for Justin to explain. Over, he overhears other Hufflepuffs speculating about Harry as the heir of Slytherin. Harry confronts them, but um, just gets more angry. He runs into the corridor, meets Hagrid briefly, and then heads off to get his books. On the way, he finds Justin on the floor with nearly headless Nick, both petrified, and more spiders running away. Peeves turns up and is delighted to break the petrification news to the school with a song. McGonagall is at wit's end, so she takes him up to Dumbledore's
1: Office, close enough. About two seconds difference, but but much better return to form compared to last week. I'll
0: take week.
1: it. <laughs> this was a long chapter. There was a lot of material packed into this. Yeah,
0: I um I had forgotten. This is another one of those chapters that just has a bunch of scenes in it. Mm-hmm.
2: Lots um, and of like, stuff almost
0: happens. Lots of stuff almost happens, but it's an an, an important precipice of happening. Um, so <laughs> a
2: precipice of happening that's a wonderful <laughs> way of <to> putting that. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's a lot of potential energy that might be released <laughs> in the near future. Sure. We just have to get up there to, to get there.
1: Uh,
2: I am going to work that into a brief someday. The precipice <laughs> of happening. That is a great way of putting that. I think um, that that is about as close as you can get to attempted assault in, in literary English as possible.
0: <laughs> uh, well, there, there was a fair amount of regular assault happening in this chapter. <laughs> There was. Um, so BJ, what, what would you like to talk about tonight? Um, so I don't have a lot. Um, there are a
2: couple of things that I kind of want to, want to poke fun at and point out. But for the most part, um, the, the back half of the books are, are plot and less wordplay, which is in some ways rewarding and in some ways disappointing. Um, but what can you do? The Deflating Draft is a great name. (laughs) Um, and I just, I wonder how many people don't end up getting the, uh, alliteration of deflating and draft because draft is not a common word in, in at least American English. And so Mm -hmm. my guess is that either younger children or their parents reading to them are going to pronounce it draught and not end up with the humor that is deflating draft.
0: Well, you are here to tell them about it, BJ. (laughs)
2: Yes. So hopefully they will listen to our podcast and find out about it because it is very funny. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: You also had the filibuster filibuster firework.
2: Yes, I did like like the filibuster fireworks, but I felt like if I talked too much about it, Spencer would be very sad because he would want to, um, possibly at great length Um, and just The whole parcel tongue thing, I I do find entertaining and him, uh, speaking snake without even knowing it. Um, but, but yeah, for the most part, this was a fairly non wordplay chapter. Um, the spells themselves are kind of, uh, Latin-ish and a little bit entertaining, but I do feel like she could have thrown in some more jokes there and I would have been much happier.
0: (laughs) Well, you can register your complaints via Owlpost. <laughs> or Twitter. <'cause laughs> in the designated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
2: I think they call it Tweeter and, and oh, the Owl. <laughs>
0: mm, mm. Um Spencer, newbie, what have you Do you, you got? have any notes? Uh, I have thoughts. Okay. Uh,
1: going through, one thing that occurred to me is that Madame Pumphrey must be the busiest damn person in this school from the just nonstop injuries, transformations, and everything else we just hear about happening in the background. I'm guessing she's really good at her job in terms of fixing people up quickly, or just magic works in that way, because her hospital always seems to be relatively empty other than Harry being there. But we just very casually over the course of this chapter hear about a variety of injuries affecting students that is just part of the normal background. And I can only imagine what her day-to-day routine is like.
0: Yeah, especially Fred and George, I think, end up in...
1: Can only imagine in
0: Madame Pomfrey's purview fairly frequently. Um, there's also I w- kind of to your point, Spencer, which I hadn't really like thought about. Um, but in the third in the third movie, there is something that happens uh, that causes a sort of time lapse to occur within the hospital wing, and you just see this rush of maniacal activity happening <laughs> in the background of like <laughs> students coming in, and it's just bonkers injuries and madame pomfrey is dealing with all of it um so yeah it seems like like a, a six hour shift is is a pretty
2: they need a mash spinoff of uh madame pomfrey's oh like oh my hospital god that way. would
0: be extraordinary <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, if, if we, if we could just have like her daily
1: intake notes just going through that list would be entertaining
0: you've got you've got um like other teachers coming in on the sly for like hangover cures
2: so what you really need is the NHS submissions
0: (laughs) I I would absolutely read that compendium
2: (laughs) well um so you're going through Uh, BJ were you happy to have Neville
1: back Uh, yes in our last chapter and he came I was
2: about to say like we uh, you know it's not really part of my wheezing but Neville is back and is as uh, Mary Sue as ever (laughs) Mary Sue, how do you mean it that way? <laughs> he's just the goofy like he he does all of the the things that that you sort of expect of a character like that. And he, I he does have a great line and and mm. I this is um something that I definitely Sarah I'm going to ask you about later is everyone knows I'm almost a squib and it it's just mm. he's he's such a stand in for like the scared child that and and maybe how like the normal person reacts in this situation that i sort of talked about before mm-hmm. um and so yeah it's i wouldn't say it's nice to have him back but i appreciate that he's back
1: <laughs> i mean it, it seems like he's been a mix between the scared child and also the sad sack yeah is elements of both we even a little bit of mix of an eeyore
2: thrown on top of things yeah and yes, you're right to uh, call me out for that was an incorrect use of Mary Sue.
1: Just, I, I, I was it's curious how you were going to make it work. Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing i got to say is that uh, Fred and George are just assholes. <laughs> and their treatment of Ginny in this chapter is just really mean. It's just really mean. Their sister is really freaked out. Like, disturbed. Very much in need of support. And their method of doing that is just evil big brothery. I have a sister, and I'm happy to say I have a continuing relationship with my sister, even though we've now grown up past their stage. Because I didn't do that kind of shit to her growing up,
2: um, Spencer. I, I cannot they... imagine you torturing anybody, let alone your sister.
1: And yet you are convinced I just have a massive, maniacal dungeon underneath my house where I abuse animals.
0: Well, those are two different things, Spencer.
2: That Sarah, do not help them. <laughs> You have to consider them like worthy of, of, of interest first. <laughs>
1: Again, the, just the sheer fan fiction you engage in for what you think my I, life you, is like. You
2: say fan fiction, yet they're like puppy bones scattered in your basement. Like, I, I, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> um,
1: I fully agree with Ron's assessment of Dobby. I think he really summarized what I was trying to say in the last episode that Dobby is helping Harry unto death. hmm Uh, Hermione's perspective on stealing is really hilarious that she's of the view that she her record is so utterly immaculate that she can kind of get away with the equivalent of murder without it being a problem whereas if Ron and Harry get caught jaywalking they will be permanently expelled
0: I would like to point out that yeah Hermione's stance on this point is always very clear that she Mm. lives to build up a buffer around herself that she can then expend judiciously, um, I believe right. in the last book she got one hundred and twelve percent on an exam, so she decided that she couldn 't get kicked out for something i don 't remember what it was, but like she, this is where we she, are
2: so i also like I find this whole thing a little disappointing, I guess, in terms of her character because like go on. So, Her rule, I feel like there should have been something in in this writing that was, here's how we can follow the letter of rules, as opposed to, well, it's fine, no one's going to suspect me, so I'll do the stealing.
1: She offered a bit of that, or at least more about the relative equivalence of certain rule-breaking in the last chapter. But yeah, there's not been really much analysis on that point
2: yet. Yeah, I feel like, you know, getting Lockhart to sign, you know, a request for weird herbs or something. Like, something that maintains the very, very, very thin veil of legitimacy Mm -hmm. would be Uh, more her style than, well, I'll do the stealing because it's me
0: we do at least get a little bit of a just, I, I think I, I totally take your point bj and I, I think you're right and this is actually a little bit it'll be interesting to see as we go on because now I, I don't know it feels a little bit out of character but i do think we get a little bit of explanation in for this particular action in the fact that colin has just been petrified yeah. and so there's a sort of urgency to getting this done yeah
1: there's, there's anyway. something you also submit yeah, I think that's a very good point that informs an aspect of her character. I think there's another one you pointed out too, I think last chapter, Sarah, that to a certain degree, Hermione gets a bit of a rush about proving how able and brilliant she is. Mm-hmm. Including in doing these kind of things that uh, previously like hacking in and working out the potion, it was kind of an opportunity to prove that she could totally make the Polygeus mm-hmm. potion.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Similar thing with this scenario, this is her plan that she's implementing. Yes. It's another way of proving her brilliance and it's under her control.
0: Yes, and this plan would not have flown in her eyes if Harry or Ron had suggested any of it.
1: And I think that's probably fair from what we've seen before (laughs) of their plans. (laughs) Um, Moving off to to the uh, potions room, this is an interesting scene uh, for a couple reasons. One, I enjoy the implication that Draco is so incompetent that before anything even goes down, he already has pufferfish eyes, uh, which is just a subtle suggestion that Draco, like, while he views himself as Harry's rival, really just doesn't measure up. He's kind of lackluster in all measurable ways other than just being unpleasant and evil. Mm -hmm. Uh, As for the swelling itself, I'm real glad that it apparently works under cartoon logic. Because if it (laughs) worked in any way how it would function in the real world, this would be an utter nightmare. If your eyes swell up to the size of dinner plates, your eyes explode. (laughs) There's only so much mass that... Only so much surface area that's available
2: to swell. I feel like... Also, only
0: so much room in your eye socket for that to occur as well.
2: A lot of very happy anime fandom people, if this would... (laughs) Yes, true. Uh, But yeah, we get
1: arms, we get eyes, we get noses that are all swollen up in a way that assuming this was in any way possible in the real world which thank god it isn't would just be disastrous but um would be really busy rebuilding bodies at the end of this so
2: but again I,
1: cartoon logic applies
2: i was gonna say like i also thought it was very interesting that like there was this potion that does that that had various effects but the counter potion was just like a cure-all and yeah. didn't need to be like meticulously applied And Snape didn't need to do anything to get there. And I understand that no one wants the, all right, well, we have to meticulously recreate this potion to deal with the problems of each of the students. It's much easier to have the, well, we have the antidote on hand and it's fine, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it is a little disappointing.
0: Well, it's not, it's actually not super unlike um, something that we get in the uh, in the dueling club meeting itself mm-hmm. um, when Snape comes in with Finite and Cantatum, which just stops mm-hmm. all of the spells that are like ricocheting around uh, after Again, Harry and Malfoy get into it. Like weird spells being immensely
2: powerful
0: mm-hmm. and then
2: mm-hmm. presumably no one using them on a regular basis. But we'll get to those questions later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it,
1: there may be a certain degree of implication that since it's Snape that does this twice, he may just be particularly well-prepared or particularly powerful. I don't think we've really had a uh, a ranking of wizards done or ranking of teachers done about relative magical ability, but I think the implication from what we've heard is that Snape would be at the upper end. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of Professor Snape, uh, among the various people in the school that I would not like to be both consistently pissed at me and also have justification to be pissed at me, Snape ranks high. And I'm waiting to see what the repercussions are of Snape totally knowing that Harry did this. Because he's been looking for reasons to get Harry in trouble from the get-go and now he's got grounds to have him expelled. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, Continuing our run of Snape, uh, Snape versus Lockhart, that scene was just utterly hilarious due to Lockhart being completely oblivious to how much he's just actively flirting with murder in terms of how he's treating Snape over the course of this uh, dueling club because Snape clearly added a degree of extra force behind uh, throwing Lockhart against the wall with the um, line how do you pronounce that spell like expelliarmus.
0: expelliarmus and we're gonna see it okay. a lot more going forward um, uh, the, the, but no there is the, a, in like a normal practice that is not a spell that blasts people off their feet <laughs>
1: Okay, so all the murder that Harry was commenting and seeing on um, (laughs) Snape's eyes and all the imminent self-satisfaction when Lockhart was being humiliated for everyone, we saw that play out in spell form, too. Yes. Uh, Do do, do, more questions, more questions, more questions. Uh, I think the thing we can learn from this scene is just the inherent dangers of giving 12-year-olds magical powers because the moment you just give them magical powers and then free reign to just duel each other like they're having sword fights, we see rapidly how rapidly that goes to hell. As you as you described it, we luckily have Snape there to just kind of put the kibosh on it immediately because that room must have been the pinnacle of chaos within about thirty seconds.
0: Well, and I feel like this is the first time when we really get like a a, an actual um, (laughs) reasonable uh, demonstration of why magic is not allowed in the halls in between classes.
1: Because they'll try to murder each other.
0: (laughs) They're adolescents.
1: (laughs) <laughs> With a non stop melee, yeah uh, questions I am very disappointed by my by my first hufflepuff representation in this book. I want good things for the house that I am apparently a representative member of, and all I get here is ungrounded suspicion well, not ungrounded, but just little effort made to inquire into alternative explanations so honestly because this Harry says I was
2: going to say this reminds me of the um there was a news article about some somebody complaining on a train in the UK that uh some woman with a hijab was speaking a foreign tongue and it got reported um and they're all up in arms and she was speaking Welsh <laughs>
1: <laughs> well okay
2: um and so yeah this is kind of like one of those just like everybody is all up in arms about harry potter and and his uh snake charming ability it does strongly suggest that a lot of these theories were already in place about him
1: that these things were just kind of just waiting to come out
0: yeah, I think that there's there's some of that, um especially because like i, I think when you're like an adolescent um and you have such such fame already about you that like yeah. he was everybody's hero for a while, but that's always going to swing wildly. Um, oh, sure. from one direction to the other right um, yeah now everything that we do know about parcel tongue is that it's like you know the select the select few yeah it, in, it's a certain, got in a certain type of way yeah
1: well uh, in terms of our our latest uh, crime scene it's been interesting that for I think every single time we've seen it now we've had open windows and spiders attached to these uh, particular scenes mm-hmm including spiders in full-fledged flight like lots of spiders like there shouldn't be this many spiders in this school but they're just fleeing in mass so again I'm curious to what degree spiders have to do with whatever this thing or person or whatever else is coming out of the Chamber of Secrets assuming that's even what it is Uh, otherwise the implications of ghosts being affected by this is interesting because I didn't think that would have been possible I guess it could be a clear grounds to say that this is a magical effect that is occurring rather than anything physical, chemical, or natural. But I kind of assume that ghosts were kind of immune from in any way being affected by anything. And I guess that's going to lead into a question I have later about to what degree this is as surprising to us as it is to them. But we'll get into that when the time comes. Okay. So I think we are on to house points.
0: House points. Good. You have actually given me exactly the transition that I want to take to loser of all of the house points for the episode. Um, I am going to say that loser of house points here is nearly headless, Nick. So, yeah, well done. (laughs) Seems reasonable. Yeah. Um, I realize that we have two people who are two, yeah, two people who were petrified during this chapter, but I think that, um, to your comment, Spencer, the petrification of the ghost is the more difficult one to kind of deal with. And Nick cannot have been expecting this.
1: No, and I enjoy that it's apparently rare enough that they don't even know how to move him to the infirmary that they kind of just eventually make a fan behind him and just kind of waft him in that direction. Hilarious. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think they're describing him as being at their own little hovercraft moving through the halls.
0: <laughs> um, so, nearly headless Nick the loser. I would give, I'm going to give the win this chapter. D- chapter didn't start out particularly well for him, but I think that we've got another Snape winning chapter. I mean, any any
2: chapter is a win for Snape and maybe Harry if Lockhart gets thrown up against a wall.
0: Yeah, Lockhart. Did, or, I mean, Harry didn't have a terrible chapter, <laughs> except for the entire school thinking that he's the heir of Slytherin, but you know, yeah. there were some high points.
2: I feel like so far this is the one thing that, that Harry and Snape agree on, <laughs> Lockhart must die. <laughs> Lockhart yeah.
0: is the literal worst yes so uh, Snape, had a, Snape had a great chapter um, he also like I realized that his his class did not go particularly well with the firework in the swelling solution but it gave him an excuse to be suspicious of Harry mm. which I think makes him happy
1: it, it also serves as like a direct comparison between how Lockhart's class when things went to hell and he just ran out of the room that when things go to hell and Uh, Snape's class, he immediately is the center of solving the problem.
0: He is terrifying and highly effective.
2: Right. And I also feel like, like, as a professor, he did a really good job of taking care of things and then, like, immediately finding the source of things. So I feel Mm -hmm. like things went awry, but, like, for him, they didn't go
0: badly. No, he did what he was supposed to do.
2: He he also has that interesting moment with
1: Harry of when Harry uh, speaks Parcel Mouth. Mm Mm-hmm. And he gives Harry a look that... Do you remember how he just... How how Rowling describes it? Because it's interesting. Yeah, I
0: I remember that... (laughs) (laughs) I remember that moment, but I don't... Huh...
1: It's a long chapter, trying to try scroll through, it takes a minute.
0: Oh, he, Um. yeah, okay, so I've got the paragraph. Snape, I think this is the paragraph you're talking about. Snape stepped forward, waved his wand, and the, Snape van- uh, the snake vanished in a small puff of black smoke. Snape, too, was looking at Harry in an unexpected way. It was a shrewd and calculating look, and Harry didn't like it.
1: Mm-hmm. That is interesting, because I don't think Snape has ever looked at Harry in a way that, that could be described in that manner before.
2: Mostly it's been disdain and annoyance. Mm-hmm. This one seems like it's got plans. Mm-hmm. I, I think that up until now, Snape kind of felt that Harry was getting by kind of on his name. Mm-hmm. And now it's just like, oh, he's interesting.
0: There's <laughs> something else going on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, well, Sarah, I think good calls for both of us points. I think we have no dispute from us on
2: either. Nope.
0: Excellent. Um, okay. Uh, questions.
2: So I have a real question... <laughs> a a it's real one?
0: to all of those fake questions you just But I anyone. also have a
2: fake question <laughs> that is more, I have a feeling I know what you might be doing after we finish recording, which is, <laughs> did you know that Hogwarts has a Rate My Professors section Wait and a second, basically <laughs> all of the professors have a Rate My Professors page? No.
0: Oh, this is really? totally going to be what I do before I go to bed tonight. <laughs> I,
1: that sounds awesome. Um, Love it. Who's got, who's got the highest rating?
0: Uh, well, Oh my so, god, it's actually in Rate My Professors. Oh, yeah. It, I, I was not lying. Well, I didn't know. I thought it might have been a thing like on Pottermore.
2: Nope. Nope. It is literally on RateMyProfessors.com. So
0: Hogwarts school of witchcraft and wizardry.
2: So highest rated doesn't really count. Um, Spencer, you should not go here because this
0: kind of contains some spoilers. Yeah, don't touch it. Don't do it. Not touching it. Don't um, do it.
2: Um the the most uh, the least spoiler <laughs> yeah, and highest rated would be Minerva McGonagall at a four point five. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, um also the um least spoiler lowest rating is one Professor Bins, The History of Magic, Ghost Professor.
1: Fair. Um,
0: but two, second lowest rated. Well, really third lowest rated, but the second non-spoiler Gilderoy Lockhart.
2: Also fair. <laughs> um, the the descriptors for McGonagall are respected, tough grader, gives good feedback, lots of homework, inspirational. Um, and like these these ratings i've had mcgonigal for all seven years and honestly she's my favorite professor her lectures are fascinating and if you stick it out past owls it becomes like a family whatever you do make sure to do the homework exclamation point i don't know why she wasn't in ravenclaw because she has the brilliance of one but she inspired me and my fellow classmates a 5.0 quality 4.0 difficulty i just <laughs> severus tough grader skip class you won't pass lots of homework so many papers participation matters
1: uh well once we whenever we finish these books like eight years from now i'm gonna have so much fun with
2: this page <laughs> um so my real question sure is how does uh, wizard power work because Neville makes a very clear remark as to his essentially lack of power, that he's almost a squib. Mm -hmm. And so, like, so far we've seen students either sort of accomplish a magical task or fail at it, but Mm -hmm. not like a, you know, not like a strong in the force, like this one can only lift a pebble and this can lift a boulder. It just sort of seems like either they can do something or they can't.
0: Yeah, so I would say, that there, do we ever see Neville do like actual magic?
1: (laughs) 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 We've seen him fail actual magic. Yeah,
0: well, because I'm trying to think about like outside of Neville, like in the outside world, like you obviously have witches and wizards who are more powerful than others um, or who have particular skills over others, and so what we what we kind of already have learned about Neville here, and it gets more fleshed out throughout um, throughout the books is that Neville is really really good at herbology um, he's really bad at the like casting of spells mm-hmm. I would argue that you have to have a certain level of proficiency at casting just like normal day to day spells to even get through Hogwarts yeah um. But you know, I think that too. The kind of like, can, what happens if you are like a midway between competent and a squib? I think that you we probably see that most in like Professor McGonagall's class in Transfiguration, where you can have a mouse halfway transformed into a snuffbox, mm-hmm. and like you still get a grade for that.
2: Yeah. So, so there is some sort of like power gradation that does matter. Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah. Now, I would say I think that Neville's problem—he has well, performance w-
2: issues, and he
0: needs—I uh... <laughs> mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I would say more about that, but I just realized that it would actually be a spoiler, so yeah, I will not. Spencer. Okay.
1: Um, it seems like this dueling club is something that's very new to Hogwarts. By the fact we hear that one of the professors is a dueling champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, does Hogwarts itself have no real history in terms of teaching dueling? And if so, is this like an
2: international or national league where students can otherwise uh, participate? So Spencer, you know how in, in schools there are there's Greek life and sometimes they do dumb things and th- then the school's not allowed to have Greek <laughs> life for a while. Mm-hmm. I can picture that being part of the history here, yes. Okay.
0: Yes. I don't know that it's ever explicitly stated. Um, as far as like an actual... Club getting banned, but I would imagine that that is what has happened here.
1: <laughs> as demonstrated with how this one played out within five minutes of starting.
0: Yeah, it doesn't seem like a great idea, <laughs> but <laughs> but we do also get evidence of like actual formal duels between wizards out in the world happening.
1: Yeah, I mean, as several of the students point out, it seems like it would be a useful thing for them to learn, <laughs> particularly in what seems to be a rather hostile world.
0: I but... well. Yeah, and I, I was going to say, I don't, like, really, this feels like it should be a part of, like, a Defense Against the Dark Arts curriculum, but Lockhart sure. is teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts and doesn't seem to be able to run this dueling club, so I don't know. I mean, sort of.
2: It also seems like the difference between teaching military strategy and an open carry class.
0: Sure. <laughs> that's, the, yeah, that's probably fair.
2: Yeah, I had actually thought about that, too, but that also
1: explains another reason why Snape really wanted to shove it on Lockhart was because he's taken the class that Snape wants to teach.
2: <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Yeah,
0: Snape has a lot of lot of reasons to be better. Snape hmm.
2: is not good at letting out emotions in a healthy way.
0: <laughs> Snape needs a good therapist. <laughs>
2: hey, hey, in terms of healthy ways, the guy invited him to hit him with the
1: spell. <laughs> to Snape, this is just awesome. Uh, you got another question,
2: PJ? Um... I. Many, but none, no, none, none that are pod worthy. <laughs> all
1: right, I, I've got a couple
2: if you will Go you for, for
1: it. Me. Please. What is the difference between a charm, a spell and a curse?
0: Oh, um. Not, they, they not they
2: all, d- distinct. All recti- are, all squares are yeah. rectangles, <laughs> but not all rectangles are squares. If that's the case, that's the
1: case. But they seem very precise about referring to certain things as charms, spells, and curses.
0: So I would, I, I actually think you're right. I think you're right, BJ. I would say that charms and curses are both spells. Okay. Um, my, my understanding is that charms specifically um, are magic that imbues some object with some type of action or characteristics so like a charm would be a spell that lifts things um that i don't know makes a tea kettle sing like it could be all kinds of silly stuff but it's also also quite powerful stuff as well um so i would say that charms are like specifically directed to inanimate objects
2: yeah don't curses involve like other people or wizards or things that the Wizarding World defines as worthwhile consideration as opposed to animals.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. And and I would say, so curses have to be de- devoted to or um, directed at some sort of, like, defined being um, in that way. But I think that they also, I think curses are interesting because I think they have to have a kind of moral component to them as well, or huh. immoral component to them. Interesting. I, th- I think they must be meant to cause harm in some way. Hmm.
1: Well, um, following from there with respect to a parcel tongue. Mm-hmm. Is is this a, is this truly unique, or is there an equivalent of this for each for other animal species out there that we find about?
0: As far as we know, this is actually unique. Oh, interesting.
1: Makes it all makes all the more stand out mm-hmm. for him. Um uh, following off that, I really assumed that the house name, the house names, and the house mascots, at least most of them, had a certain tie-in to what the house is founder's name was like Slytherin is not that much of a stretch to say the house is a, the house mascot's going to be a snake sure a uh, Gryffindor not much of a stretch to say it's a Gryphon uh Ravenclaw I believe it's like a it's a it's either like a falcon or an eagle right
0: um it's a I think
1: it's a is it a
2: raven
0: is it a raven
2: I thought it was a raven
0: I, I think it's a raven it's a sh- but wait gri- a wait a minute actually... wait a
2: minute wait a minute Sarah it's your house, I, your house.
0: <laughs> I don't know <laughs>
1: That's mascot. Eagle.
0: Okay, it is an eagle. Um, But Gryffindor is actually a lion, not a griffin. Oh,
1: well, sorry. I, got that. I guess I had that wrong then. Okay, well, Slytherin then is the only one that's directly on point for its name, because I believe Hufflepuff is the badger? Yes. Okay, that was just my, my misunderstanding then. All right, Uh, I think that is it for me. Uh, I, I also want to give credit to Percy for being halfway sufferable in this chapter, which is a step up from when we've seen him before Oh, God, he's barely sufferable. Oh, my goodness. Well, and
0: it's mostly because we don't see him very much.
1: Is there a certain... Well, I compliments, Harry. And then... Is he telling Harry where to go? Or is he that, you retentive that he just can't get out of his head where the last place he saw Ron
0: was? I, I think it is absolutely the latter. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> I don't think he's trying to be helpful. Yeah,
1: because if it was a different character, I might assume he was trying to be... doing like a cagey Dumbledore kind of hint to <laughs> Harry. But it's...
2: Percy so yeah, I was just about no. to say, this is
0: what Dumbledore would tell Harry, not what Percy would tell Harry.
2: so there's an yeah. interesting sort of little thing there where where Percy was talking about like talking to Mrs. Weasley, and it's just like, is that how you refer to like, "I'm going to tell on Mom?" <laughs> wow, hadn't thought of that. I could
1: picture tell the picture of Percy saying, "You stop it, or I'll tell Mrs. Weasley on you."
0: <laughs> that is I did not catch that at all. That's fascinating.
1: Now, it's said from Harry's perspective, so it may just have been Harry translating, but I can totally picture Percy saying that. Yeah, we
0: might be back to your, like, weird shifting narrator, BJ.
2: <laughs> it's always a All thing, right. and it's always interesting.
0: <laughs> sure. Well, <laughs>
1: get, getting into chapter 12 next, I gotta say, the pictures at the beginning of these chapters can be occasionally horrifying, and this one ranks high.
0: Yeah, not very prominent eyebrows happening here.
1: What? Well, it's just... It's such an uncanny uncanny valley effect of where that is not a living thing; that is a puppet, and I don't like that. <laughs> but Chapter Twelve, the Polyjuice Potion is upon us, and I'm guessing that's what's going to happen to one of us, one of our characters, as they are take the potion. Uh, based on the glasses, I'm guessing Harry.
0: Um, and there is a a faint remnant of a scar on the forehead, I believe. Oh, there Ooh. is
1: so much to unpack about each of these images.
0: All right. Well, this has been fun, y'all. It has. Yeah, it has as
1: always. Until next time, everybody. But...